Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chang. Hello, Li Wen. Hello, Marcel. So there is news coming from the UK. The Chinese Global Television Network has been stripped off its license to broadcast within the UK for reasons of not being independent in their content. They broadcast in the United Kingdom. Just to, to, to clarify, CGTN is an English language TV network and it broadcasts worldwide, basically, also in Germany, for example, and in other European states, and it tells stories from China. Once in a while, I switch into it. You have some documentaries that I find really interesting about Chinese social conditions, about the social environment, about families, about the relations within families. It's really interesting sometimes to see. But on the other hand, these networks like CGTN go in line with the, with the party line, of course. They totally tell China's narrative on every subject that matters to the world right now. Let it be, let it be Corona, of course. Uh, let it be tensions in the South China Sea, on Taiwan, on Tibet. You will always see the China perspective. So there's one less global player in the UK, a global player in terms of transporting China's narrative of the world. Do you think it's a good step to ban CGTN from the UK? Is it reasonable to do so? Of course, for me, any effort to reduce the propaganda machine from China from invading further with its disinformation campaign is a good step, But especially in a time when the Chinese propaganda machine has started to work. And we, we have to look at the recent news or recent uh, analysis provided by a media lab called Grafica Labs that has been focusing on detecting disinformation campaigns. The report from Grafica has said that Chinese propaganda machines started to gain real gravity and get out of its echo chamber. They called the whole Chinese government hired trolls and fake IDs and coordination between, for example, Chinese diplomats or Chinese scholars who are with mission of disinformation, with the fake IDs and everywhere on social media, government media. This network, they call it spamouflage. So Grafica says spamouflage has been amplified in the past months among others, by the Venezuelan foreign minister, a Pakistani politician, a senior figure at Huawei Europe, a UK commentator and former member of parliament like George Galloway and four YouTube channels for Chinese viewers with tens of thousands of followers. So this is the first time that we have observed spamouflage content reaching external audiences in this way. So it shows that we are actually really witnessing the beginning of some monster out of a cocoon that has been there ever since 2008 when China launched its soft power strategy and put billions and billions of money into this machine. CGTN is not a China perspective, but the Chinese government perspective. 
It used to be CCTV nine, and we all know that CCTV is Chinese government's most important mouthpiece in China. It used to be the foreign language channel in CCTV, and now they they make it international. The thing is that with CGTN, I think just to take it apart from CCTV network, it gives. I think the idea is to give it more credibility abroad. Because CCTV is closely related to to the state, to the Communist Party, while CGTN is something new, and people are prone to new packages to believe there's something new in it. Yeah, it's just a repackaging. So to give a better parallel is if you see VOA abroad and Voice of America, you're talking about, right? Yeah, a VOA rename itself as like VGA or whatever it is. That is CGTN. <laughs> I really wonder how far the German authorities are into it. Are they tentative to watch and to pursue the program closely to see if there is something that contradicts the terms and conditions to 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 receive that license? Yeah, I also wonder. The naivety we've experienced within the last years in the European Union and also in Germany towards、um, Chinese propaganda. I'm afraid that we are not. As closely pursuing these broadcasts from CGTN as we should do, actually, I remember the case of the Norddeutsche Rundfunk, which is a station within the public radio from Germany (NDR). They actually were receiving material from CGTN, and they became cooperation partners with the with the German NDR. I'm not sure if they still use it, but I think there was a, a wave of Protests or a wave of wave of criticism towards that. On the other hand, the content from China is getting less and less because of the restriction on foreign correspondents' freedom to report freely in China, especially after the American journalists were kicked out one after another in the past year. So there is a high demand for content from China. Yeah, true. In this cooperation back then, they produced. Like talk a talk format between、uh, German and Chinese journalists talking about China stuff. It was highly criticized, and、uh, I'm not sure they're still producing it. I think they actually abandoned it. It was last, I think, in 2019 that they broadcasted it. But this is a good example of how the Chinese propaganda tries to actually intertwine with Western media outlets. And to to offer a cooperation. Yeah, the CGTN has been sending delegates all over the world to offer content partnership. To be honest, I don't understand how any Western media outlet can seriously actually agree on that, because I think we should abandon every cooperation that gives in Western media outlets too much space for the position. That are transported in these broadcasts by the Chinese side. Sorry to say so, but actually the experience tells us that you can't trust anything of that. You know, in the media outlet, you have an office with a few people taking care about it. Yeah, and of course it might be eyed by some superiors as well. But the other side, so in this case the side, the Chinese side, is sustained with a strategy that comes from the very very top. So unlevel playing field basically because you have someone with an agenda coming, and then someone with a goodwill, and they coming together, and then the one with the agenda will be actually the one who sets the tone, 
and it can easily actually convince the one side with the goodwill, in this case the German NDR, to actually promote their position. And this is a real threat. Utilizing German media, European media in general, Western media, to propagate Chinese government's perspective and stance. So the Western media journalists, they are not stupid. They know what is propaganda. So, so they will not propagate the stance of the Chinese government. But perspective is another thing. Also, when the contents are monopolized, for example, when the Chang'e satellite was launched in China, you have no other first-hand content, then you have to use content from China. Because international journalists are simply not allowed to do interview freely in China. While at the same time, the Chinese journalists are freely roaming in every demo uh, democratic country to, to kind of tailor every material for the ideological war. If there is a launching of, for example, European space uh, technology, Chinese journalists can go there. I know that CGTN is uh, freely interviewing the European Space Agency. They can go anywhere to the press conferences of any level of German, German government. But when it comes to China, you are kind of left powerless as a foreign correspondent because even your movement is kind of restricted, like whom you can talk to, whom you can contact, etc. So, so the foreign correspondents in China are increasingly facing the situation that nowadays it's more difficult to find an interviewee, even if this person is just a street vendor. More and more people are scared of talking to foreign media, and foreign correspondents are more and more restricted. So then, when you have China content, what do you do? You pick from whatever the Chinese producers have made, especially when it comes to visual image. And there, you are subject to the materials. Well, generally, I think it is okay to use snippets, short sequences, like you use quotes from other articles. You can also use Chinese material on video or on TV, right? No, I'm not saying you cannot use it. I'm saying that by selecting the materials provided to the world, China already defined the materials that you can have access to. Absolutely. So there, are, there is a large black hole of, of information on China that you cannot enter. And that already has set the agenda. It has limited greatly the scope. Mm -hmm. Your attention is directed to whatever the Chinese government want to direct you to. The more important it is that the Western journalists, in this case, assess the information that come. And in formats where German and Chinese journalists are coming together to talk about things, I very often realize there is an hesitation in criticizing and pointing to the important points. Instead, the Western journalists would is, is tended to focus on just the things we saw. Yeah. And we don't focus on the things we very intentionally not see. And there's a kind of hesitation to confrontate the, the Chinese side with that. And they, they leverage on that very, very consequent and very, very successful, I think, the Chinese side. Yeah, it, it's the same with Chinese propaganda machine inside China. One thing important is the censor. Censor, it's like castration. It makes you shut up. So lots of important, most important key issues are left out of the picture. On the other hand, they bomb you. 
They bomb you with the content that they want you to see. Right. And these two work side by side very effectively. So in the end, it's about setting agenda. I recently talked to a German diplomat who's based in Africa. We were talking about China's vaccine diplomacy and its efforts to supply vaccination to the world, to developing countries in South America, in, in Africa, in Southeast Asia and stuff. And he said the Chinese government is very good in blowing up little things and promote them as really big achievements. Why not? I mean, let them do. It's just a question of how you decode this kind of information you get. But when you see, for example, what happened in Serbia during the mass diplomacy, although the European Union was always supporting the Balkan countries and also Serbia with uh, huge investment packages containing of billions of euro, the Chinese side managed last year with the mass diplomacy to be cheered for their support in the corona crisis. And they were rewarded with big billboards saying, thank you, Brother Xi, directed towards Xi Jinping for his support during these times. Yeah. And then you see how effective the Chinese propaganda is able to blow up their own support to make it bigger in the perception of the local people yeah. than the support from the European Union in this case. And it works out. It works out. You see, you know, they have succeeded. Yeah, I think the most dangerous thing here is that because the Europeans are freely criticizing the European government, this is how freedom of press shows itself. So you in Europe, you criticize Europe a lot, and Chinese propaganda machine use this and feed it back to China. And then the only thing you get from China is propaganda, this like enthusiastic praise of Chinese achievement. So this sort of double game has made the Europeans doubting democracy more and more, simply because of the propaganda. Because in Europe, it's so hard for you to get content about how the system in China actually failed to protect its own people. In the lockdown, for example, the recent Tonghua lockdown, yeah. diabetes patients were locked at home without medicine. People were running out of food that they even have to eat their pets, according to internet comments left by people in Tonghua. People were so desperate that they went out to try to buy some food and they were refused because the shops are not allowed to. This sort of thing is only sporadically presented in Europe. Not really to the scale of the propaganda that, okay, China is doing really great work. And, and gradually people get used to it, get used to like maybe harsh measure like China actually works better. And then they don't think about what has caused this pandemic at the first place. It is exactly because of this machine. It's because it's cracked down on any dissent. So we didn't know that there was a pandemic in Wuhan and it spread it to the world. Yeah, the messing up of our value system, messing up of our orientation in judging what kind of society we want to be. And that is fundamentally being eroded and being kind of disoriented. I see that the Chinese government made experiences with Wuhan outbreak and with the following censorship. And you see now in Tonghua and in other cities that, I mean, although there's 30 million people in the lockdown, yeah. you barely get information that contradict the official narrative. And the reaction in the West is, okay, if there's no reports, like there was reports from 
Wuhan, when people's journalists, yeah, citizen journalists, or YouTuber, blogger started to report from their point of view, people in the West were prepared to believe, oh, there's things going wrong. But now with this lockdown, the censorship machine is working much more efficient. And the reaction in the West is, well, if there's no reports about uh, mismanagement, about uh, people being locked up, being left alone, then apparently there is no left alone. There is no mismanagement. This is what some people in the West really are convinced of. Or I wonder if they want to believe it yeah. or if they are really convinced of it. Because... If you put 30 million people in a lockdown, even if you have the experience from Wuhan last year, to make it as effective, you really have to be very determined and relentless on how you execute this kind of lockdown. I mean, you see that the reports are coming up and they are censored within a very short time, sometimes just minutes after they've been published. The censorship already deletes them. So there is this kind of mismanagement going on again with huge violation of any civil rights, of human rights. And still our impression or the impression that ends up here in the West is like, well, this time apparently it's not so bad. As you say, we're starting to think about to be more, more strict, more consequent in how we lock down because apparently China does it so we can do it. But this is a totally misperception, total misperception, because the way the Chinese government achieves its goal there is by very, very relentless measures. You never be able to implement in a Western democracy. And this is good how it is that you can't implement it the way here. Yeah, we are really in a fierce competition, like the most fierce battle of ideology during this pandemic. Before the pandemic, it was not so clear It was not like full frontal confrontation. This time, this year's, it shows a lot. I mean, if you look at how the Arte TV has foolishly been used by Chinese government to show go around uh, Wuhan, to show how successful they have controlled the pandemic, uh, singing praise all the time and being stunned by the success without really in-depth refer back to the cost of it and the origin of the pandemic. And they, there is certain kind of loss, sense of loss on the Western media as well as the politician, I'm sure, and the people at the moment, the feeling, the sense of loss that how come that authoritarian or totalitarian, I think China is now like dictatorship as well as totalitarian mm -hmm. society, can work so well how can they work so well maybe there's something we can learn and then you get all sorts of wrong lessons from it like for example i saw on the german business media that a reporter who wrote a lengthy article about how china knows the science so so they follow the scientific measures which is of course bullshit because It's not that the Western government doesn't know the science. Of course, Donald Trump doesn't know, but local government knows. I mean, Merkel knows, Macron knows what science is. Mm. But it's the different system that are not working the same. Facing a war situation, 
China is treating it as a war situation. In war, dictator or totalitarian system does work better in a short time because they can very quickly mobilize all the resources and order everyone in place. While democracy has a long process of mobilizing resources, for example, in Germany, the Bavarian governor might not listen to Merkel that much. And then you have to go through a procedure of parliament and and different committees and stuff and sort out the consensus. And this is the consensus-based society. You have to constantly be confronted in the pandemic with the slow procedure of consensus-based society. But in the long run, if you look at the cost that people have to pay, it is immense. In the dictatorship, in a in a totalitarian society, it is about losing your freedom on every aspect of your life. It's about going out to meet someone without knowing you are infected, and after that, you spread it the virus, and then all your family, your own personal information, your family's personal information, including your height and body weight, will be. Spread it all over the internet, and everyone's scolding you for it. And it's about also if your family died in the pandemic lockdown, they didn't get infected by coronavirus, but they died from heart attack, and they couldn't get shipped to the hospital because of the lockdown. And then you cannot talk about it. You cannot tell anyone about it. Imagine there's one case in Germany, just one case. That someone was refrained to going to the doctor because of a lockdown, he was forbidden to leave the house. Imagine just a single case, and he dies of a heart attack because he was he didn't receive medical support. Oh dear, oh dear! It would be an outcry in Germany. Apparently, we don't realize a lot of people don't realize that this is the way the lockdown is implemented in China again and again and again. Yeah, and of course, all these are ideological war. And the ideological war normally is combined with real action. There should be carrot and there should be stick. And recently, there is a stick in Denmark. They use a stick recently. Yes. Well, yeah. We have on the one hand, we have、uh, right now very currently the vaccine diplomacy. Although China does not come up with the with the local vaccination plan, there's no setup for it right now. There's no targets officially. Probably that China is lagging actually its own vaccination goals,、uh, but still they are sending millions and millions of doses of vaccination into the world to gain support. And you see countries like Turkey or Indonesia, or you see the Seychelles, Brazil, yeah, and other countries that you have high level. Sometimes the, st- the state leaders, sometimes high ministers or other high officials getting a, a jab. Live on television to show this is、uh, we trust the Chinese vaccination stuff, and of course it's according to these pictures it is very much elaborated in Chinese media and all over the world,、uh, where the Chinese government supports developing countries and others sometimes like Hungary or Serbia, who apparently seem not to be able to re- get another vaccination than the one from China. The German diplomat based in Africa I talked to. He said they are more aware within the EU, within Germany now about that diplomacy. They are wary. They closely watch what's going on. Still, the question is: Do they take any actions, or what does it mean? Being tentative to something 
doesn't mean you take the right conclusions or do the right actions, but at least there's an awareness within Europe to be more encouraged to promote your own actions, to actually do kind of a counterweight to the Chinese vaccine diplomacy. There's another thing where you can see that the Chinese propaganda is combined with certain actions. When we look to Denmark, for example, there was a very, very interesting case, which is right now going on. We have the former cultural minister of Denmark, who is under investigation by Hong Kong authorities for breaching the national security law or for likely breaching the national security law. Two parliamentarians and two uh, young politicians who want to enter the parliamentary later. What has he done? They helped to make one of the democracy advocates in Hong Kong flee the city just a few weeks ago. What happened was that from Denmark, the former minister faked our conference on climate change. He set up a schedule for that and sent out an invitation that was handed over to the Hong Kong authorities which then, based on that invitation, decided to give back the passport to the activist who was former stripped of his passport to not to be able to leave the country. Then they said, okay, he has an official invitation from Denmark for this event, so we grant him his passport back. He will come back to the city. But no, he didn't. He organized to flee for good from Hong Kong to the European Union and also his family. That was actually the point where authorities, the security bureau in Hong Kong, decided to start an investigation into these politicians. Well, I talked to the, the former cultural minister. At the beginning, I thought it was a joke, but they're really serious about it. The security bureau says, well, we do everything according to the law. So the investigation, they try to, to seek out if there is a breach of the national security law from their point of view. And in this case, they would issue a warrant, which means if the authorities in Denmark decide to extradite the parliamentarian to Hong Kong based on this warrant issued by Hong Kong authorities, then the former cultural minister of Denmark would be charged in Hong Kong and probably would get a punishment and maybe even go to jail. Denmark already excluded or ruled out totally to extradite one of the four people involved, but it doesn't mean that they are safe when they, for example, go to countries that have an extradition agreement with China. So if you go to Kazakhstan or to one of the countries in Central Asia or go to Thailand, for example, you might not be safe from any harm because there is enough evidence that Chinese authorities reach yeah. out to these countries to ask for their support. There was Gui Minhai, the, the, the Swedish publisher, Swedish citizen who was kidnapped from Thailand to China to finally give back his uh, Swedish citizenship and uh, become Chinese national again and to confess on TV that he was doing wrong and now he's in jail and he received a 10-year punishment. So he's uh, the next 10 years, he's in jail. That means for everyone in the world, basically, that he's not safe going to Hong Kong or China when he may have breached the national security law. But he's also not safe going to the country that has close cooperations with China. Which is a lot. And this is, uh, yeah, the, the ex-territorial reach or range of this law is unprecedented. 
Within the Chinese dissident circle, it's a consensus nowadays. Cambodia, Thailand, Pakistan, all these countries that are closely under China's influence are not safe to travel for them because they could be abducted there and very quickly hand over to China. This is a warning sign, actually. Imagine how, how many countries are already included in this list of, well, I don't want to call it a blacklist, but at least a list where you need to think it over twice if you go there when you might have breached the national security law. And the thing about the national security law is, for example, unlawful means is a term that is used in this law. And unlawful means will, according to our experience, be defined by the local authorities from case to case. If they want to get you, they will definitely find an unlawful mean you used mm -hmm. to advocate democracy or to oppose Hong Kong's political development or whatever. That means you go as a, as a German, as a British, as a US, as a whatever citizen in the world, you go in one of, in your capital, you, you go in front of the government's building And you put up a sign saying free Hong Kong, free Tibet, whatever, uh, you, you name it. The, the Hong Kong authorities feel themselves entitled to start an investigation into it and to issue a warrant. And this ex-territorial ex reach is, is totally unprecedented. And it is it's, it's warning sign that we really have to resist this kind of influence. This is what also the former Danish cultural minister told me that he said, it's, it's basically not about me, he said. It's about the question, how far as a society, as a liberal Western democratic society, Western or whatever, but democratic liberal society, how far are we prepared to accept this meddling from China into our liberal societies. And yes, he's, he's probably right. This is the question we have to ask. It needs to be raised and it needs to be answered. I think when we talk about these topics, about like freedom of speech, at the moment, Europeans or democratic countries, people normally, if they are not involved with China, Normally, they would say, okay, as long as I shut up about China, why do I care about China? If I shut up about China, then, then we are fine, right? We let them do whatever they like to do. It's about their own business. I think such mentality is prevalent. And uh, what I want to warn people who think in this way is that China's interest is growing very fast. And I give an example in Indonesia, there are lots of Chinese investment because Indonesia has a corrupted government. So very often, they local projects like mine projects, the whole mine is purchased by Chinese company or partner with local company, but owned by Chinese company. Then the local government would protect this mine at any cost, environmentally, economically, of the people. Like local people might suffer immensely because their livelihood used to remain on this piece of land. Then they are kicked out. And then not only that, the water is polluted because of the mine. They launch a protest. They try to stop the mine. And then guess what? Local government simply cooperated with the, you know, these people were just arrested. There's no voice coming out. If you think this would never happen in Europe, think again. 
No, it happened. It happened. It happened in Denmark, for example. 2012, I was talking about, well, again, with the cultural minister, he reminded me of a of an incident 2012, I think it was. It was still when Jabao was, was prime minister and he was visiting uh, the parliament in Denmark, if I remember that right. And there were people demonstrating on the street and they were removed by the police with force. And eight years later, still... It's a matter of discussion in Denmark, what was going on back then. They were removed very harshly with physical force for actually just executing their liberal rights, their civil rights. They didn't breach any regulation of, of so that there was not an incident of trespassing or something. It was not that they were on unallowed soil or uh, that they were chanting things that are not allowed to be chanted in, in Denmark. It was just the decision actually to remove these people from the uh, from the route of the prime minister to make him not see what is going on uh, on the pavements in Copenhagen when he finally visited the country. Yeah, but this is still about freedom of speech. What I'm talking about is actually livelihood for, for common folks. I'm talking about, for example, one day your land has been grabbed from you. One day your job is lost due to unfair competition. What we need to pay attention to is really the economic un unbalance that is tilting more and more towards China. And this is due to the fact that China is using this pandemic and its very brutal measure that of pandemic control has worked more effectively and using it to gain more gravity economically as the global economic driver center. It's too late now. And then China's Belt and Road Initiative is basically creating a Sinocentric system that with specifications, standards, norms, and regulations that will favor China's technology and services to the exclusion of others. This was a quote from Vijay Gokhal, who's India's foreign secretary until January 2020. And he wrote on an Australian publication warning everyone that this is gradually even the trade, investment, economic weights, that the rules will follow China's rules. And by then, it will impact everyone's livelihood You start a company, you work for a company, you face completely different games. You want to voice your opinion. You want to struggle for your own livelihood without any, even if you don't care about the concentration camp in Xinjiang at all. I'm sure many people don't. Even if you don't care about those, then you have to care about your own life, like what kind of society you can live in. And if you keep on empowering China this way, there will be one day very quickly the same fate that Miami's people, the Indonesian people, what they are suffering from, will come to Europe. Particularly when you think about Chinese standards, technology-wise, industrial-wise, setting the framework in the future. With this along comes definitely demand from China to interfere in foreign affairs or in internal affairs of other countries. When they set the standards, they also have the power to ask for favors, to, well, to express their desires, what they want in foreign countries to read about in the press, about China. 
we shouldn't be so naive to believe that China would stop doing that. They will push, the, government, the Chinese government will push and push until we realize, okay, it's enough to push and we start to stop the pushing or we, we create a power that pushes against it. A global alliance in democracies and liberal societies that fighting this threat coming from an authoritarian system. Yeah? Okay, is there something positive left to say? We don't want to leave our audience maybe not uh, with, a, with such a dark outlook. Well, I think at least that the awareness is rising. It, it has been kicked off last year, China's uh, handling or management of the corona um, pandemic and everything that followed w within the year. Uh, Hong Kong, Xinjiang and stuff. People are more, or the diplomats around the world are more, more attentive to all the threats are coming. Uh, I think it's still not too late to actually resist all these forces and to develop a, a common force that we defend our liberal values. Mm. I think as a European citizen, we have a lot to do. One thing important is to urge the politician that represents you to work towards a strategy in the long run. I mean, not like about... What shall we do today? We have to do business with China. Yes, we have to do business with China. We have to, for the moment, tolerate, put up with, and kind of even enable Chinese government in a way, in many aspects of the economic life. But we have to urge our politicians to do something, to lay out long-term strategy, to divert the economic dependency from China, be it manufacturing or exploring new markets, we have to see a long-term strategy shifting away from China. Otherwise, no matter how much the awareness is, we will be bounded by economic reality. It's, if this dependency doesn't change, there will be no way that German diplomacy will change towards China. Okay, let's see how it goes. We have support from the US now again. Joe Biden said in his foreign affairs speech uh, the other day, he emphasized that uh, the West is not willing to give up on, on his values. And I think that was not only just uh, uh, an announcement of willingness to fight China, but it was rather the try to integrate all the liberal and democratic representatives in the world to stand together. I think this was what I at least understood from his speech. And I think uh, this is the only way we can, or the best way we, we can counter the pressure coming from authoritarian system. Okay, uh, thank you very much for this, uh, for this time, Li Wen. Thank you. We'll be back pretty soon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> It was nice talking to you. Bye. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. with chopsticks the truth about dictatorships a podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Chopsticks